it's good to see everyone that's made it out today, and uh, I pray God will bless our time together. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. And uh, it's kind of funny, I've been uh, texting backwards and forwards with my son in uh, Germany. He's on his way back. Uh, And so we want to pray for his safe journey and his safe return. Uh, to the states. I haven't seen Tony in forever, it seems like, and uh, under the conditions, we'd rather not um, have to meet up this way, but that's okay. God will take care. As we uh, take our look in Revelation chapter 14 today, uh, we're going to move on from where we've been studying in one verse in particular, uh, verse 8, where it says the uh, following beast was to occur, and then the cry out, or uh, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. But I want us to take our attention today, and we're going to try to finish up with chapter 14 as we look at the six angels, six angels that are going to be mentioned here in this chapter. Let's see what it says. Uh, beginning of verse 9, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, neither receive and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels." and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow after them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come, and time, uh, uh, excuse me, the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar and had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle on the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask him to bless as we study here today. Now, Lord, I pray that you will guide us. And you will lead us as we study today. I thank you, Lord, for your many blessings to us as a people. And I pray that in everything we say and do that we might understand the things that are given. We are so grateful, Lord, for your presence. And we're so glad that you allow us to assemble together. 
Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you in all things, and may we rejoice and guide and watch over us in all things, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, I can't help it, but while I was reading, I've been dealing with a lot of things that I've been thinking about uh, in regards to the end times and uh, what we're looking at. If I, there, there's one particular statement that many times people will try to make of Sovereign Grace Baptists like myself, and they'll say, oh, you're Calvinist. And I hate that word Calvinist. Now, let me explain this to you. Before Calvin ever existed, the Lord Jesus Christ preached the message, and it is laced throughout all of the Bible, not the Old Testament, the New Testament. And so for someone to label me as a Calvinist, I kind of get a little bit upset about it. Because I tell people I'm not a Calvinist. I am sovereign grace, true. I'm a Tulip Baptist, true. I believe all these things, but b before Calvin ever existed, we were. We might as well understand it. The same thing holds true, and I've been thinking about this for an awful lot. There was, there's, there was a lady, her name was McDowell or something like that back in the 1800s, and she began to pin a lot of things that she heard. And it's sad that so many people want to take and they'll say, oh, well, we follow that lady in our eschatology. That's just not true. That, to me, that's the same as calling me a Calvinist. It just doesn't, doesn't fit. May I point this out to you that even the earliest generation of Baptists, most of us know them as Montanists, the Montanists even held to the position of a pre-trib coming of Jesus Christ, long before this lady ever came on the scene. So if these people began to uh, make these attacks, I don't follow that. I'm, I'm on my, my little, uh, if you will, soapbox right now, and yes, I'm speaking to uh, people who will give me an ear. But the reality is, is that I don't follow after these things because some woman pinned these things together and put them in a writing. She had the smarts to be able to do it. Now, can I glean from what a person like that writes? Absolutely. Can I glean from individuals? In fact, let me point this out to you. I bought a book not too long ago. It was called The Millennial Kingdom. And I bought that book because I was certain that it would give me great definition on what the Millennial Kingdom was all about. But the reality is the Millennial Kingdom had nothing to do with the Millennial Kingdom of Christ. It had everything to do with why the person was a pre-trib believer. And I agree with him. Every principle that he brought in, he goes, you know, I've, I've considered this, I've considered that, I've considered the other positions, and none of them seem to come into place. The only person that I've ever written or I have ever read that has put into definement about the pre-millennial or the um, excuse me the the post-tribulation position of the millennial reign of Christ was Tim LaHaye. Now and again he did that in the Left Behind series. I'm not trying to advocate anything he has to say, but he uses a lot of scripture and you know between Tim LaHaye and Jeff Jeffries they did write a pretty sizable piece of material. May I say this to you? If you have the ability to read and to sift out what's wrong, then I would encourage you to read. If you can't, don't do it. 
don't do it. I would recommend that you would much rather read the Bible and let it speak to you than to try to sift through what everybody else writes. The more I read the scripture, especially in chapter 14, we are looking at the last moments, if you will. We're looking at the second half of the tribulational period. Now, the image that we saw uh, that's on the board behind us right now, uh, these were the images that we talked about last week about the falling, the fallen of the Babylonian Empire. But I want us to begin by looking at the different aspects of what we see, beginning in verse 9, of the different angels that spoke or that have a place here in chapter 14. Now, I come across with six angels. Uh, you might have find some additional angels there, if you will, but that's fine if you want to be able to look at that. But I want us to go back to verse 1, and let's see what it says. And I looked, uh, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters and the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and uh, before the four beasts and elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Now, there are several things I want us to look at. Number one, these are 144,000 that were originally sealed with the promises of God in their forehead. If we take our Bibles, and let's go back to the book of Revelation, and in the book of Revelation we begin to see, um, in chapter 7, once again the 144,000 that were first introduced to us as we see them in this particular book. Look what it says beginning in verse 1. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. Can you imagine an earth without any wind power whatsoever? Let me just point this out to you. If you ever go out to Wyoming, uh, in parts of Colorado, things like that, the wind is constantly blowing. Uh, in fact, it's not uncommon for there to be uh, 50 mile an hour winds. I remember one time that I was traveling across Utah, and uh, they said, well, we got a wind advisory. Okay, well, wind advisory around here is maybe 30, 35 miles an hour. 100, wind, uh, 100 mile an hour wind advisory. And, it, and if you ever go across the desert salt flats, they, they drive these big trucks with these big snakes on the back, if you will, where they have two or three different uh, movements of the uh, trailers that are there. And I'm telling you what, these trailers were going down the road like this, and being an idiot, I decided to pass one. And uh, so I am passing it like this, I'm off the road, on the road, off the road, on the road, and I finally got around and I went, I'm not doing that again. Because, you know, they're traveling at 90 miles an hour across the desert salt flats, which is posted on the side of the road, and I'm doing 100 miles an hour to get around them, and there's 100 mile an hour crosswinds. It was really hectic. But imagine this, is that there's no wind whatsoever to speak of at this particular time at, uh, until these 144,000 are sealed. Look at verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Where is this seal going to go? And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Put not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servant of our God in their foreheads. Now, 
Is this a visible image? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's just a, a knowledge that they have that is sealed in their forehead that they are going to proclaim the Word of God wherever they go. 144,000. Imagine the, the great influence. So it's interesting, Brother Randy um, and I were talking about this last week, how that uh, many of the cults that are out in the world, they begin to point out that, well, we believe in 144,000 are the only ones that are going to be saved. Well, imagine the billions upon billions upon billions that have been saved upon this earth. That means that they will never, ever be part of the 144,000. Not only that, the cults are wrong because the cults don't realize that this is 144,000, 12,000 out of each tribe of the children of Israel. Their primary goal is to preach the gospel to the Israelites to bring them to a knowledge of Christ but it is also to preach to the entire world the responsibility of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 4 says this, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of the tribe of the children of Israel. Now here's what's interesting. If I go back over to chapter 14, Notice that we have standing before the throne of God, there's 144,000. I don't know how they died. We're not given any indication, but we are told that at the end of three and a half years, they're all going to be standing before the throne of God. So we don't know what their end, what their end is going to be, what their responsibility is going to be, but we do know this, is that they have a desire to preach the word of God. That is a desire that is put in there, and they have no fear of death. Think about that for a moment. They have no design for themselves. They have no fear of God. And we're going to allude to, get to this in this morning's message because there's so many people that they want to say, well, God's not in control. Well, if God's not in control, how do you explain that he knows who these 144,000 are? If we don't know the, that God is in control, how can we explain what he said to Job? If he's not in control, how was Jesus born the way he was born? I mean, we're going to get into more of that a little bit later. The reality is, is that these individuals are standing up, but notice that their seal is in their forehead. Now, a little bit later, as we just read in chapters uh, 13, we find how that there was a mimicry. So as 144,000 are put to death, or as they, the last one begins to reign upon the earth and then his death comes in, there's another, there's another group of people that have the seal of their, the, in their forehead, but this is a visible seal. This is a seal of the Antichrist. This is something that the beast has put in. This is the number of the name of the Antichrist, either the name or the number of the name, which is 666. Now, I bring this up to your attention because we should remember that Satan is a great mimicker. Now, the image that we see on the back is part of the mimicry that we see in regards to what Satan has done. Do you realize that this mimicry has been around since the, really after the flood? Now, think about this. The Simbaramus became known as the Queen of Heaven. We now know the Queen of Heaven as announced by the Roman Catholics as Mary, the mother of Jesus. It wasn't until our lifetime that she was declared to really be deity. 
And so as deity, she was almost like all the other pagan gods that have been out there. And I'm sure that if Mary had the opportunity to stand up, she would say, no, it ain't that way at all. It's not that way at all. And the whole idea behind it is to try to mimic what God has done. The only thing that's different, and if you think about this, is that Satan wants his way. He wants his day. And in his way and in his day, what he says is that there's another God. And always that God is classified as a wicked God. Now what's interesting is that, uh, thank God for Disney, right? Well anyway, Disney now has this new program on where they, they elevate Loki. And they're elevating him as being a benevolent but wicked God. Now how can you have a benevolent and wickedness all at the same time? It doesn't even match. But that's the idea that Satan wants to portray of himself and he is literally leading so many people down the primrose path to say, hey, this is going to be okay. It's not okay. And I guarantee you that as we confront it upon this world, how sad it's going to be. Now verse 4 says this, These are they which were, and by the way we're in Revelation chapter 14 verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So 144,000 virgins, meaning that these were men that they had one thought on their mind, and it wasn't women. Their entire thought process was upon the preaching of the gospel to redeem all of the people of Israel that would also believe that they would come in as well. I thought that was an interesting statement. Now, I'll bring this to you as well. How many of us would love to see this church body grow? Now, I'm going to give you 365 days to figure this out. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. But if we witnessed in the 365 days, if we witnessed and we received two people, every member of this church was able to show two people the cause of Christ, we would more than double this congregation, we would triple this congregation. I'll think about that for a moment. Two people. Now what if in the very next year, the same group of people began to also be a witness, began to be a testimony, began to be a purpose? You would not only see an increase of that, that magnitude, but of the original, there would be six times the number. Now the, the number keeps going on and on and on, but the reality is that's what these individuals did. 144,000, they went into the, the very despair and the wickedness of people who rejected the things of God. Understand this, is that the reality is, is that after the church has been redeemed upon the earth, there are still going to be the wickednesses of men that are going to, per, that are going to continue to be pronounced. There's going to be the wickedness against the two elders or the two witnesses that are going to come forward. And the wickedness towards them is going to be such that, they, that, that literally there's going to be fire called down from heaven to destroy them. Now think about this for a moment. If God has the ability to do that kind of destruction, if he has the ability to destroy, he also has the ability to save. We don't know who's going to be saved. We don't know. And the sad part is, we try to figure it out before God, you know, does the salvation. I, I said this to a person one time. Isn't it interesting that God never asked us who we would like to have saved? 
because there are many people that are part of his churches that were never originally in our idea of salvation. May I point this out to you? Maybe you are those individuals that no one had a, in mind of what it was going to be like to be saved and to enjoy the things of God with. Now, here's this 144,000. They are virgins. Look what else it says. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. If there's anything, they're obedient. How many of us feel like that we are truly obedient to the things of God? Now, to some extent, we are. We read our Bibles, we pray, we do all these things, but obedience means more than just going in. If, if you have an animal and you're trying to teach that animal to set, maybe it's a dog. Yes, you can train cats, it just takes a, a lot more time. But the reality is, if you take a dog and you teach that dog to set, guess what? As soon as you turn your back, the dog's up. Now that dog wants to follow you, right? No, that dog wants to go wherever it wants to go. It doesn't want to sit there. That's one of the reasons we have to reward even a dog. But may I point this out to you? We have more patience with a dog than we do in obeying the things of God. And yet, the direct obedience, now think about this, the direct obedience we have is that the Lord gave us one great command, and that's going to the world. How many of you all, and again, don't show a, a sign of hands, but... How many of you are afraid of doing it incorrectly? Maybe you, you have someone who's really interested in the things of God and you, you're afraid of doing it incorrectly. What I'm telling people is show them the word of God for what it says and let the Holy Spirit guide and lead. Trust in him. Trust that he's going to give you the direction and the care. These men did not care whether people liked their message or not. They declared the message. Now, we try to butter it, we try to compensate it, we try to make it as easy as possible, but the reality is, these men went that way. They obeyed and they went where the Lord sent them. Look what else it says. These were redeemed from among men. So they lived even during the rapture time, and they were redeemed because God had called them to redemption. Being the first fruits, I love that word, first fruits unto God, and to the lamb. The first fruits means the tender fruit, the beginning fruit, the, the, the offspring of the, the fresh first picked apple, if you will. This is something that's going to be very precious. It also says, and in their mouth was found no guile. Now, here's the thing. That means that everything that they said was not just the what we apply as curse words. I don't like curse words because I know the meanings behind those curse words. Uh, and, and whenever I hear someone curse word, you know, say a curse word, it bothers me to no extent. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that it seems like it is a, a sign of a depraved nature. But even more so, they didn't even think about those curse words. How many of us have heard them and then those words stick with us? They don't get let go. They just stay with us over and over again. But in their mouth, there was no guile. They never cursed God. They never said anything inappropriate. They didn't even think it so that their mouths would relay it. For they are without fault before the throne of God. In other words, these are individuals, not because they are self-righteous, 
but they have received the fullness of the righteousness of Christ. If there's one thing that I could really enjoy in my life, it's the fullness of his righteousness. I long for the fullness of his righteousness, and I am so sad to report that the only time that that will actually occur is when I pass from this life. Then I will understand the fullness of his righteousness. Then all sin will be taken away from me. Then I shall be glorified. Then I shall be unified with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 6. The first angel announces, let's open up heaven. Let's see all the people that are there. But in verse 6, and it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. Now, I brought this up last week, but how many of us have ever thought about the fact is that the message of the gospel is only to the earth and unto us as well? And let me show you where that comes from. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 10. And in the book of Romans chapter 10, we oftentimes hear this as well. All right, now look what it says in verse 9 and 10. And if we just take verses 9 and 10 of the book of Romans chapter 10, we find this, this response. Um, make sure I'm in the right place. Here we go. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in, in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How many of you agree with that? I do. 100%. Look at verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there is the evidence. Now can a woman lead her husband unto Christ? According to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, she can. And can a man lead a woman? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, she can. But here's where we run into issues. For there is no difference between the Jews and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, here's the question that comes in, how then shall they be calling him whom they have not believed? And how then, and how shall they uh, believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So the reality is, is that, you know, all these things together, we, all, we have to put everything together that we find in verse 14 for it to happen. How many of us also think about this? The witness that we have is also preaching. How many of us have ever associated the witness that we have is preaching? We used to see uh, over the doorways of the exits, we used to see a sign that said, entering into the mission field. May I point this out to you? This is not a common place for sinners to associate. I would expect as someone who does not know Jesus Christ to be as uncomfortable as they possibly could be in the house of God. And here's the reason why. They are not accustomed to the righteousness and the holiness of Christ and the desire to worship and to praise his name. So for us to bring people in, they have to know Christ on the outside. Now I use this many times as, a, as, a, as a, an example, but for years and years my dad pr prayed for his sister to be saved. He prayed for other members of his family to be saved. One day, when I had the mission work up in Jackson, Ohio, Dad opens the door. I was really shocked to see my dad and my mom come in. He goes, I thought I would introduce you to your sister. Well, I know my sister Regina. 
But in behind Dad came Cletus, Dad's sister. She had come to trust Christ as her Lord and Savior, and Dad wanted me to be one of the first ones to hear about it. I thought that was very honorable. Now, how was she able to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior? I don't understand every little detail, but she said that she believed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But the reality is, there was a complete change in her. Now, understand, it wasn't a total change, it was a complete change. And what I mean by that is that she now believed that Jesus Christ was her Savior, and she wanted to live for Him. Now, the reality is, when we witness to other people of Jesus Christ, we are telling them what the Lord has for us to do. I'm going to show you another example. You're going to love this one. Let's turn to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 8. And in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we find a man who is a deacon. Now, is a deacon a preacher? According to Romans chapter 8, he's not a preacher. He's a witness. Look what it says in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, everybody with me? Go to verse 28. Was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Was Philip a preacher? At this time he was called deacon, not evangelist. He was called deacon. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? Now the beauty of it is, is that whenever we preach the gospel, we should know enough of it so that we can take the questions that other people have and to explain them away. Now, there are ways that we have other opportunities to explain the differences that we believe. Now, let me give you an example. And what I mean by that is sometimes there's a bit of a confusion that may occur. But we had a, a good example of it this past Wednesday as many of us joined together to talk about the Wichita Indoor. Did we not? For those people that came and were a part of the services about the Witch of Endor, what made us so beautiful was that everybody was already on the same page. We just needed to put together. And as I began to listen to what other people said, we were following Acts chapter 15. How many of you all know that? And regarding the pastor, who was James, who stood up at the very last and said, Men and brethren, I've been listening. I put it all together, and I want you to hear it now. Understand, no man is by himself a private interpretation. A man must have the full leaning upon the Holy Spirit to give him the direction. And in verse 31, notice that this man had this question. I've been reading about Isaiah since he's speaking of himself or someone else. In verse 31, and he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was as a sheep to the slaughter and uh, like a lamb, dumb before the shearer, so he opened not his mouth. 
Let, let me just stop here for a moment. Many times when people don't understand the truth about salvation, the hard part of it all is because they've never given time to understand it. And so when God gives the opportunity and he takes all the noise away and he makes us think about these things that are there, maybe it's tragedy, maybe in the case of this Ethiopian eunuch, he'd already come to Jerusalem to worship, and he left empty. He didn't feel like he had received everything he needed to. And immediately as he began to study, he began to see that there was something missing. I don't think it was by chance that he read Isaiah chapter 53. I think it was purposed. And as he read it, he goes, who is this man talking about? Well, how many of us, when we read the Bible, we can see Christ's hand all over it? How many times do we read the Psalms and we see the hand of God all over it? How many times do we read the book of Isaiah and we see the hand of God over it? Or anything that's in the New Testament? The message of salvation should always be clear. And when we read over here in chapter 14 how that one individual was preaching the gospel in heaven, it should let us know that there is always the opportunity to read the Bible and question ourselves. How many of you read the Bible and you come upon an area and you begin to question something that you always thought was part of your faith? That is given for a reason. But I'm going to show you something, and, and this is amazing to me as well. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, we've got to remember something about Timothy. Timothy was called the son, my son in the faith, or he was called, in fact, verse 2 it said, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. No, he was never Paul's son. In fact, um, Timothy's father was Greek. And so he wasn't even Jewish. But if you go down to verse 5 of First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Where did that faith come from? How was that faith modeled? How was that faith demonstrated? Notice which, was, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded in thee also. So the reality is, is that, first of all, I know that the faith that we are speaking of began with Lois. Do you realize, ladies, let me tell you something. You are giving more demonstration of the grace of God to your children than even men have. You're around those little, little urchins all day long those little curtain climbers. And they had that opportunity to see the unfeigned love of Christ in you and the faith that should be generated in their life. Number two, when they begin to have questions, all to sit down with Grace, she already knew the answers. Where did those answers came from? come from? They came from her grandparents, and they came from Jessica as well. Already, Will is starting to ask those questions. But there is nothing more magnificent than to trust in the things of God and let those things answer by your statement and by your faith. 
how do they know that you're real? How do they know that you are real? Number one, people are watching you all the time when you come into this house. I remember one time when I lived in, um, down in Nancy, Kentucky. I had a phone call that afternoon. They said, are you all right, Brother Prater? It was the neighbor across the way. I said, what do you mean am I right? Well, we didn't see you leave out. You always leave at a particular time. Well, what they didn't know is I drove out the back way because of all the snow we had on the front end. I said, well, I made it. I said, uh, thank you for checking up on me. But people are watching. They're watching your faith. They're watching who you stand for and what you stand for. Number two, when the time comes, they will ask you the questions. One time I made a little track, you know, for the church that I had there in California that I got to pastor. And I would go to people's doors and when I would knock on them, you know, in California people are just, they immediately like, can't you read? No soliciting. I said, I'm not giving, I'm not soliciting anything. I'm giving away. By the time they thought that even the word soliciting meant that I could not even present the gospel on their doorstep. But anyway, as I went in, I handed the track, and on the track it said, you may not need me now, but when you do, I'm available. That's all the track said. And it had my phone number on it. And the person looked at it, and they went, what's this? I said, well, I'm the pastor of Landmark Missionary Baptist Church here in Roseville and in Granite Bay, and I'd like to invite you out to services, but you may not need me now. But the day's going to come when you are going to need me. Now think about that. When are they going to need you? When a child is sick? Maybe they have a, their loved one is passing on from this life? They have every opportunity to know Christ in a very real way at that moment. I had one lady, she said, what if I need you now? I said, then I'll be glad to tell you about Jesus Christ. I don't have to force myself on them. All I have to do is present myself before them. Think about that. The message that we have here over in, when we, in uh, Revelation chapter 14, notice it said again in verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. If there's anything that I find upon this earth, it is a lack of fear. Just because we have, you know, I work for a Christian organization, doesn't mean that everyone that is a Christian is a part of that organization. I had a lady that uh, she was quitting last night, and last night was her last day at the place where I work, and she said, well, I'm not particularly religious. I said, I'm not either. Isn't it funny that when people begin to think about the term religion, they think that that'll turn people off. And I said, but I wanted you to know that I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your salvation. I hope that made an impact. And I said, I'll be glad to pray with you. 
May I point this out to you? We live in a day and age where people don't know the truth. And they're afraid of it. But in this, we find in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God. Do you know what we have as lacking in our world today? A lack of fear. A lack of fear and reverence to God. By the way, the word fear, and we also hear it as reverence. When it says over in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and women see that you respect your husbands, that is actually reverence. It's the same word. It also means fear. It's all used the same together. So put it this way. Show reverence to God. Fear God. Why do we have a fear of God? Because he's not able only to destroy the spirit, but the soul and the spirit. He can wipe us off the very face of the earth and no one would ever have a question. But the reality is, I will stand before God and I will hear one of two things. Welcome into thy servant. Or on the other hand, this way. To a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. This is where you go. I don't want to ever hear that statement. And here's the thing, and I'm, I'm going to be serious with you as I draw this message to a close. When I was a young man, I was stationed in uh, England, I think it was, or Germany, I can't remember. And I had my first kidney stone. Oh, my goodness. Makes you want to shout right then and there if you've ever had a kidney stone. Right, Brother Randy? And the reality is, is that when I had that kidney stone, I remember the words that came back. Jeff is dead. And you say, well, what's those two have to associate with? Well, Jeff was one of the young airmen that I had opportunity to work with every day. He was from Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I never witnessed to that young man about Jesus Christ. Never. We were too busy. And when I heard that he had passed from this life, the first question that came to my mind was, where is he at? Now, I know that because I believe in the sovereign will of God, because I believe in his sovereign grace, that everything is going to be according to his plan and purpose. But what if God says, would you refuse to tell him about me? You get to escort him to the gates of hell. I'm not saying that's the scripture. I'm not saying anything else. But that's enough to cause me to want to fear him even more. We're going to stop here right now. The Lord's willing, we'll pick up at verse uh, 7, and we'll finish up here next week. Let's close in prayer. Now, Father, we thank you for your mercies and your, your goodness to us. Help us as we go into the next service. In Christ we pray. Amen. God bless. We're dismissed.